Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We started a new sermon series uh, last week. It's called Bear Fruit, and we've been looking at God's design for you and I to be fruitful that that fruitfulness is supposed to demonstrate that we are followers of Jesus and that primarily spiritual fruitfulness in one expression is the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That as we uh, engage in the, the presence and participation of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that there's this fruit that becomes expressed in us. And last week we talked a little bit about love as we kind of mapped out the beginning part of our series. And this morning we're going to uh, be shifting our focus towards the second one listed or the second characteristic that is listed, and that is joy. I was uh, watching a television show recently where there was a sidebar conversation that was taking in observation of a group of people that were enacting the scene. And the the scene went like this. There was a group of people that were overtly religious. They were pretty pious. They were kind of straight-laced, but they they were very stoic. They were kind of judgmental and curmudgeon-y, and there really wasn't a lot of, of joy that was being expressed in those characters. And there was two that were making observation of what was taking place. And the one said to the other, why are those people so miserable? Like, why are they so miserable? And the answer from, from the friend it, with the observation was this, because they have their God. And so that was what was being portrayed in the show. That was what was being expressed there. And I want to remind you of something that really is true, that religion on its own may lead to piety, you might have some kind of some straight-laced behavior, but it will never lead to joy. Like just religious working will not lead to joy. And I would suggest that a joyless follower of Christ is a poor witness to the new life that you have in Jesus. And oftentimes what was being portrayed in that show is one that is, is really kind of a general perspective often of the world, that they would look at those who would profess to be followers of Jesus and they would say, well, they don't seem to know how to have fun. They don't seem to be really happy. Uh, they seem to be angry a lot and maybe angry at a lot of other people. And whether that's true or not for you or any of your experience, it certainly is in general oftentimes a perspective that the world would offer. And again, I would say that a joyless follower of Christ is a poor witness to the new life that you actually have in Jesus. And so before we move forward this morning, I want to offer you a question that I would encourage you to wrestle with really for the next duration of time, that you would kind of really wrestle with with the Holy Spirit and and come to grips with maybe an honest answer before the Lord. But here's the question. Is your life a joy-filled life. If somebody was to look casually from the outside, to look at the way that you interact with uh, colleagues and coworkers, the, the way that you go about just kind of the general day-to-day of your life, if they were looking at you as an athlete or as a student or as a, a, a mom or in the workforce, if they observed the way that you interacted with your spouse and with your kids or with your in-laws, like is, is the general perspective of the way that you're living life, would, would somebody come to the conclusion that, man, that, that person is 
living a joy-filled life? And if not, here's the follow-up question. Would you like to? Would you like to live a life that is uh, qualified by that? Because here's what we're going to find this morning. The living and active presence of the Holy Spirit should result in joy. The Spirit of God present in your life and moving through your life should produce the expressed quality of joy as part of the fruit of the Spirit. And celebration, which is the doing of joy, is a spiritual discipline that you and I can develop. We can actually become good at that. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get it out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, would encourage you to open up your Bible app. Lord, we ask that you would give us soft hearts today to receive from your word. Lord, give us a willingness to be challenged by your spirit. Lord, to uh, be aware of what is true of us in this moment, but to be encouraged that we can take steps uh, towards um, just more fruit and experience of your spirit in us. Help us to receive your word and to act on it this week. In Jesus' name, amen. With your Bibles open, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 5. That's kind of been our starting point and is going to be a main text for us for the duration of this series. But in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is writing to the churches in a whole region, and he's contrasting in this chapter some different ways that we can live our lives. And in verse 19, the very first part of the verse, he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And then he gives, as noted last week, a whole list of naughty things that's not exhaustive, but just illustrates what it looks like when we don't live according to the Spirit of God. And the acts of the flesh are obvious, but then in verse 22, he shifts our attention from the things that we produce on our own effort to what the Spirit of God produces in us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on, and moves through there. And so what we started with last week was that there is some different ways for you and I to go about living our lives. In our points of decision, in our decisions towards direction, in the values that we have and what we're going to put our efforts towards, and just the way that we live our day-to-day, you can choose really from three different buckets to pull for motivation. Uh, You can either live life with the Spirit of God, so you are engaged in uh, being led by the Spirit, you're keeping in step, there is a partnership taking place there. You can be uh, motivated or even sometimes trapped or held bound by sin, and that can be willfully choosing to do the wrong thing, or that can just be continuing to align with the broken systems and the way that the world works in its own ideologies. Or you can choose self. And there's times where you're not really sinning, you're not doing the wrong thing, but you're also not partnering with the Holy Spirit, you're just doing your own thing over here. Maybe sometimes even oblivious to what God would want to be doing in your heart and in your life. And so there's kind of some, some different ways that you and I can go about aligning the direction of our life, but there is one that produces the fruit of the Spirit, and that is when we are in step with the Spirit. So at the end of that section, in verse 25, Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So when we are in step with the Spirit, when we are yielding to the leading of the Spirit of God in our life, when we are recognizing that He is present, and we are engaged in the activity of what the Spirit of God is doing, then that's going to produce this fruit of which is characterized love and joy and peace and the other things that are there. So spiritual fruit 
is the result in our lives when we get in step with the Spirit of God, when we recognize that He is present and when we engage actively in where He would be leading us. And one of the byproducts of that or results of that should be joy. So any believer who has the Spirit of God in them should also be expressing joy in their life just because of that very fact. But when we are not in step with the Spirit, when we are misaligned, when we're not abiding in Christ, then that fruit isn't something that is assured and is often something that is missing. So with that, if you're a note taker, we're going to answer three questions this morning. You can write these down right now, but you're going to have to leave space, or you can write down the first one, and then I'll tell you when the other ones are coming up. But here's the three questions that we're going to ask and answer. The first one is this, what is joy? Okay, so much like last week when we see that love is, is one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. And we needed to answer, what does that look like? Because the world offers a lot of substitutes for that. That was important for us. Same thing with joy. We're going to answer that question this morning, what is joy? Second question that we're going to ask is, how do we receive joy? Right? Where, where does joy come from? How, how do I get me some of that? And then number three, how do I express joy? What does it look for me to actually be joy-filled in the way that I live. And as we answer that, it will move us towards some action steps for this week. So our first question is, what is joy? And joy, as it is used here and as it is often spoken of in Scripture, is not dependent on circumstance. And the closest thing in contrast to kind of that, in a sense, or a comparison that's similar but not quite, would be the idea of happiness. So in, in our kind of culture, our Western thinking, and even in the use of those words in English, there would be a little bit of a difference between joy and happiness. Uh, it's possible for, for you to be happy, but it's almost always tied to your circumstance. So you're happy at work when your career path is, is progressing the way that you would like. When you got that promotion, when there's harmony with your coworkers, and when those things are disrupted, then you're not happy at work. It's dependent on your circumstance. Same thing can be said sometimes of our relationships with our spouse or with our significant others. It can be something that is oftentimes uh, influencing the way that we relate to our kids or our in-laws or just to the uh, people in general. You can be satisfied with even what you have, maybe even thinking of your home or your kitchen or the aesthetics of the place that you live. And your happiness is oftentimes based on, well, do I have this the way that I want it or is there a longing in me for something different? Happiness for the most part, is something that ends up being tied to our circumstance, which means that it is primi primarily related to what is outside of us in the natural. Now, the way that joy is talked about in Scripture is the direction is not to this outward circumstance around us. The joy that is spoken about in Scripture is directed heavenward. If you remember last week, if you were with us, we talked about love and joy and peace, that those three... Uh, taken together that primarily the direction of relationship that those are enjoyed and expressed is heavenward. That love is where we receive a true understanding of what love is because God has expressed that to us. We receive that from him and then it's from that reservoir that we're able to relate to the world around us. If I try to love my neighbor without understanding God's love, then I'm not going to love my neighbor in the correct way. Same idea with joy. Joy is something that is directed towards heaven. God is the source, which means it's not dependent on my circumstance. And listen to this. God is ultimately the recipient of its expression. 
And that's really, really important. That when joy rises in me because of what God has done, and it, it, it rises in me at an understanding of his presence and his goodness and his graces, then my expression of joy primarily goes heavenward before it goes outward. It's something that's primarily expressed up. It's directed towards heaven in that sense, but the way that we kind of uh, enjoy it or the way that it is demonstrated in the world around us is on earth. So it's directed heavenward, but it's demonstrated on earth. And I want to give you an example of that. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, these uh, verses won't be on the screen. You'll have to go and read this on your own right now or later, or you're just going to be like, no, dude, I trust you, and I don't have time to do the extra work. So thanks for doing the work this week for me. But in Deuteronomy chapter 16, starting in verse 13, there is a feast that is described that the people of God were supposed to uh, supposed to do um, uh, yearly, really. Um, and so this idea of this feast that is described here is a way that they were supposed to relate to God in worship. I want you to th keep that just kind of as a thought kind of in your back pocket as we look at this. But this was a spiritual discipline that they were given that they were supposed to practice, and I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your, and your wine press. So after you have gathered your fall harvest, you're supposed to have a feast that lasts seven days. That's a seven-day straight party, right? Even the best church potluck is just like after church for a couple hours, right? This is straight up seven days that they were supposed to celebrate. Be joyful at your feast, you and your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants and the Levites and the aliens and the fatherless and the widows. In other words, everybody is supposed to be a part of this. There's no separation. There's no other than. There's nobody left out. That it's not dependent on where you are socially or whether or not you are advantaged or disadvantaged economically. That everybody was supposed to participate in this. Everybody was calling a timeout for a straight up week to have a party to celebrate what God had done. Verse 15 says, for seven days, so it reinforces that idea again, celebrate the feast of the Lord at the place that the Lord will choose, for the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Now, there were several feasts that God gave to the Israelites, to the people of God, that were supposed to remind them of what he had done and then to elicit in them celebration in response to it. And it's a great picture of what joy is supposed to look like. It's directed towards God, and it's something that comes sourced from him because of the goodness and the grace expressed in your life, and then it is expressed back to him, but it's expressed in very natural and, and fun, normative ways. Have a seven-day party, and for the whole seven days, be reminded of how awesome God is. Now, that's not the perspective that people have of Christ followers. That's not the perspective that people have of the church in general, especially the Western church. There's some challenges here. But joy is something that is directed towards God, but it's expressed in just in natural, normative ways that everybody else could be able to see and enjoy. And the challenge for us is this, is that most of the time when we express that type of celebration, we end up doing it in the flesh and it leads us towards what is called hedonism. 
where we're just kind of filling ourselves with avarice and greed and appetite, and it's not something that is God-honoring, and it's not something that is a blessing to the world around us. But unfortunately, because of that tendency, a lot of times followers of Jesus just don't celebrate at all. That, that there's not really a quality of joy in the life that we live. And it's almost like we're trying to protect ourselves from our tendency to slide towards fleshly desires. And so instead of uh, countering those with partnering with the Spirit of God, we just say, well, I'm not going to do anything at all. It's really equivalent to the parable uh, that, that Jesus speaks of, of the men who were entrusted with sums of money from, uh, from their master. That there were three servants and they were entrusted with different sums of money. And two went and put it to work and invested it and had a multiplied harvest as a result. And one went and buried it in the ground. Because they were afraid that they would lose it. And I can tell you that when it comes to joy in the life of the believer, many of us just bury celebration in the dirt because we're afraid that if we give, uh, let it get loose, that we're just going to slide towards being fleshly. There is a way for you to partner with the Spirit of God to see this expressed in your life. Doing joy in the Spirit will produce a holy celebration that everybody gets to recognize and see. But that's that difference between kind of joy and happiness and, 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 the, and where those things uh, intersect there. So kind of with that answered, or at least with that kind of thought primed for us, I'm going to talk to you about how, how do you receive joy? And I want, you, I want you to think about that, really. Like, we're still wrestling with that first question, right? Is your life a joy-filled life? And if you're tr still trying to assess that, if there's an area of your life where you're lacking joy, you, we need to answer this question. How, how do I receive joy? If it's not from a promotion, if it's not from my circumstance, if it's not from me getting my own way, if it's not from me just feeding my flesh or chasing after avarice or getting, uh, you know, getting what I have pursued in, in my own, like, then, then how do I receive this joy? And if you're a note taker, I would write this statement down. Joy is primarily received and enjoyed in relation to the presence of God. Joy is primarily received and enjoyed in relation to the presence of God. If you are looking to live a life of joy apart from the presence of God, you will not find it. And you may even pursue that out of kind of a rote religious expression, and you may be pious and have changed behavior, but you will not have any joy in your life. Joy is something that comes from understanding the presence of God and engaging in that. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, the psalmist writes this. He says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Another way for that second statement to be translated is in your presence is the fullness of joy. When I'm in your presence, God, that, that's when I receive joy. That's when I'm filled up with joy. That's where joy is the most fully expressed, would be what that phrase in the Hebrew is indicating. And then the third statement in that psalm verse is with eternal pleasures at your right hand. There's something that happens when you are aware of the presence of God in your life and you basically raise your hand in a sense to say, yes, God, I'm going to participate in what you're doing in and through me. And what you see in this verse is there's, there's a few things that are expressed 
when we understand that in his presence is the fullness of joy. The first part of that, it says, you make known to me the path of life. A, a good way to get a thought on that would be that it puts life into perspective. I know where I'm going. I know how I'm supposed to get there. I understand what has value. Life is put into perspective. When I understand the presence of God and when I participate in relationship with God, then the rest of kind of the outward workings of life, it starts to fall into place and I can see more clearly where to go and where to put my efforts, what has value, what's a distraction. I, I can begin to make proper alignment uh, in the decisions that I'm making. And then you find in your presence is the fullness of joy. That ultimately joy is something that I get to enjoy because I have the presence of God available. Because the Spirit of God is in me and He has promised to be present. And then the third part of that verse, it says that with eternal pleasures at your right hand, my focus is now going to be heavenward. See, when you receive joy from the Lord, then now you're not looking at your circumstances hoping for things to get different so that you can have a momentary happiness or a fleeting euphoria. You have a joy of the Lord that now I'm thinking about things that really matter. I'm focused heavenward and on things that will last into eternity. In spite of my circumstance, I can be full of joy. In his presence is the fullness of joy. There's something that happens, church, when you encounter the presence of God that is different than anything else that you'll experience. There's something that happens when you encounter the presence of God that will mark you and change you from the inside out. When I was a youth pastor in Southern California, um, we, we had a pretty big youth group on Wednesday nights, and we had kids really kind of from all over. We had kids that were church rats just like me. They were born and raised in the church, and we had kids that were from, from broken homes. We had kids that were coming out of drug culture. They were, they, were, they were all over the place coming in to this youth group, and they were motivated for a variety of reasons, but something happened when they all got together and we began to worship, and they began to encounter the presence of God. And this was a very frequent conversation that I've had, and even one that I've had here on many occasions. But after uh, one service on Wednesday night, I had a junior in high school, and he was the, the only person from his family that came to church. He was just looking and trying to figure out this Jesus journey thing. And he came to me after service, and he was like super excitable, and his eyes were wide. And I wasn't sure where this conversation was going to go, because he was like a little bit intense. And he's like, hey, 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 can I talk to you? I need to talk to you. And I was just like, okay, like, I got to get ready for this. Because those kind of conversations, just so you know, they go like this, right? <laughs> they're either going to be really good or they're going to be really bad. That's my experience in ministry. And he was excited and he was just like trying to press in. I said, yeah, I've got time for you. Like, what, what do you need? He's like, I just have to ask you a question. I just have to ask you this question. He goes, I, I don't know what's going on here. And I was like, like, it's just church stuff, right? That's in my head, right? I, I don't know what's going on here. He said, but when I'm here, I feel something different, and I can't stop smiling. And that moved us into a conversation of what it means to experience the, the presence of God. All he knew was that when he was gathered together, and it wasn't in my teaching or my message, and it wasn't the snacks or the games, it wasn't the program, but particularly when we were gathered in worship to the Lord. 
that there was something that he could feel tangibly that was different than anything else that he had experienced and he knew that it was good and he just didn't know what it was and so we began to have conversations about that I've had that same conversation with members of our church family who have come from different churches or different backgrounds or who have just recently been saved the conversation that comes in and says hey when when we worship I feel different what is that when I came in I felt like this was home like, why is that? That's been many of my conversations. It's because the presence of God will change your life. The presence of God will change your life. It's actually the reason why we call our Inspire Pastor the Inspire Pastor. It's not because Megan is supposed to write inspirational phrases that we send out to you. It's because she is in charge of our corporate gatherings that when we come together, here is our goal, that you would encounter the presence of God and be changed that you would be inspired by the very presence of God. No one will ever be changed by a message that is preached unless the presence of God is at work in their lives. It's not going to be something that is well put together or well delivered. And some of you are like, amen, hey, that hurts. <laughs> Jesus changes lives. And when we encounter his presence, we are changed. And when we become aware of God's presence, and that might be new for you. Maybe you've just started coming to church, and you just know that when you're here, you feel different than when you're not here. You're, you're encountering the presence of God. When you begin to become more aware of that, and begin to kind of raise your hand to participate in that, in a sense, saying, all right, God, whatever you're doing, I want to say yes to that. As you start to say yes to the Lord, and as you become more aware of his presence, then uh, you begin to recognize the many mercies and many graces that you have received, and because of that, you begin to be filled with joy. You begin to have joy because you are reacting in love to the goodness and grace of God expressed in your life. And so there's something that's taking place. And when we do that, just on a daily basis in our in and out, when we recognize that in his presence is fullness of joy, and some of you would be able to give kind of a testament to this. You would say, yeah, I remember when I came in and we were worshiping and it felt different than anything that I'd ever experienced. Some of you, that would be your testimony. But I want to I uh, remind you that the presence of God goes with you when you leave this place. Don't make the mistake that somehow you've got to get back to church to have that experience. They have to somehow be here corporately, that that's the only way that you can enjoy that. When you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God resides in you and goes with you when you leave this place, which means that if you can recognize that in all of your day-to-day -day interactions, all of your conversations, all of your comings and your goings and your workings, that God is present there, then you can begin to engage in participating with his presence, that you live a joy-filled life not just for an hour on Sunday morning but that you actually go out and live a joy-filled life uh, ir uh, irrespective of your circumstances because you know that the presence of God is with you and you're going with him. And when you partner with the Holy Spirit, joy will be a natural fruit expressed. It's an expression of the fruit of the Spirit and it just comes from a natural production because the Spirit of God is at work in and through you. So we receive joy primarily and enjoy joy primarily in relation to the presence of God. And so if you go back to that question we asked 
a little bit earlier, is your life a joy-filled life? If you've got an area of your life that is lacking joy, I can almost guarantee you that it's in that area of your life that you are not engaged with the presence of God. You're not walking in step with the Spirit of God in that conversation or in that workplace or in that place of addiction or that place of challenge. You're doing that in your own strength and your fruit is always going to be shriveled and fake. That's just the way that it works. So the Spirit of God, the presence of God, when we engage in that, we can move into fruitfulness. All right, so let's say you're starting to have some joy well up in you. What are you supposed to do with it? Right? How, how do I express... How do I express joy? One of the most common phrases in Scripture that is the expression of joy is the word rejoice. Rejoice, you'll see that a lot. In fact, in the New Testament, there's a phrase, rejoice in the Lord. Kind of actually identifies the direction and the source and kind of all of those things as well. But rejoice, that's not really a word that you use very often. In fact, you probably only see it on Christmas cards where it's like rejoice and there's like a dove and like maybe a trumpet and you send those out to some folks. It's not, a, it's not a word that we use very often. Think of it this way. Think about celebrate. Think of celebrate. Because the word in scripture that is translated as rejoice, it really means this. It, the best literal translation of it is this. Do joy. Which doesn't make a lot of sense to us, right? Because we think of joy as just kind of a, a noun or just kind of this quality. But there's an activity to it. Rejoice is do joy. Demonstrate it. Live it. Walk it out. Practice it. And so celebrate makes a little bit more sense to us. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Somebody say always. always. How about everybody say always? always. All right, that's how I check to make sure that you're still with me and awake. Rejoice in the Lord always always, and then he doubles up on it, right? He doesn't let it go. He says, again, I say, rejoice. Do joy and do it always because it's not dependent on circumstance. My joy comes from the Lord, and I can choose to celebrate in that manner. To do joy or to rejoice, really put into practice, it's to celebrate. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you celebrate the things of God in your life? I'm going to ask it again because we want to say yes because we know that that would be a good answer in church. Do you celebrate the good things of God in your life? Most of us are going to want to say yes, but we're going to substitute the word because we're going to say, well, I value the good things or I enjoy those or I really like those. But celebration is an activity. Do you feast at the goodness of God in your life? Do you demonstrate it in a natural way that the world would look on and say, hey, what's going on over there? That looks like a good time. I would say that for most of us, we don't. We value the goodness of God and the grace of God in our life. We want to receive it, but I'm not sure that we are really great at celebrating it. And here's something that you find when you study celebration in the way that God kind of gives out the different feasts and the different invitations to his people in scripture to celebrate his goodness. Celebration is the completion of worship. I would encourage you to write that down because this is gonna, it, it's gonna be a little bit of a hurdle for us. Celebration is the completion of worship. 
that ultimately, when I have offered my worship and praise to the Lord, and I have acknowledged fully his goodness and grace, and I've come to a place where not only have I acknowledged it, but I have received it in full and earnest, and I am no longer dependent upon kind of the evaluation of myself, I celebrate what he has done. I'm filled with joy, and I can't not, I can't not do something. Think about the last time you, you couldn't hold it in. Think about the last time something happened in your life and it didn't matter where you were just like, yes, and you were in the aisle at the store and everybody's looking at you, right? For some of us, it would be like, hey, our team scored. Like, finally, they won a game, right? Depending on, on where your sympathies lie, that could be reality this fall. Like, sometimes it's good news. Sometimes it's, it's, it's something that has happened and it's like, it doesn't matter what's going on. Like, I have to erupt to that. The goodness and grace of, of, of God in our lives, we should see it in that way. But in worship, I would say oftentimes we don't finish worship. And let me give you an example with that. Many times in worship, we become aware of God's goodness and grace in relation to our shortcomings and our failures. There are times in worship where you are honest before the Lord and your heart is humbled and you are aware of your sin, you are aware of your failure. You're aware of the great cost to Christ it was to redeem you, that you become aware of those weighty things, and he is worthy of worship and praise there. And many times in those moments, we, we will be humbled. Uh, we, will, we will feel a little bit of guilt even at times. We will be awed. We will be admiring of the Lord. And sometimes we will bear the weight of those things, and it'll, even, it'll take us to our knees. And we'll bow down before him, and we're just, oh, God, I'm so grateful. But then we don't get up. We don't actually finish or complete worship in a way that we come out of the grave and we are celebrating resurrected life in Christ. We become aware of the great cost and we get humble before the Lord. But we don't rise exalted and we don't rise into the identity that we have in Christ and we don't go live out in freedom. Oftentimes, we carry our guilt with us out. But if you would push through in worship to get to the rightful culmination, you will not be able to help but celebrate because you were lost and now you're found. You were dead, but now you are alive. You were far from God, but now you've been reconciled. You had no value, but now you are valued above all else. You can't help but celebrate that. We've gotta finish, oftentimes, our acts of worship. We get far enough to feel the weight of our sin and we're overwhelmed by condemnation. But scripture says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is a place for you to be honest before the Lord and to weep and lament your sin and your failure, but you don't live there anymore. That's a dead man's grave and you are alive in Christ. And when we own that and walk into that, we get to see that more often expressed in our lives. Celebration is the completion of worship because it dwells on his greatness and his goodness, not my circumstances and not even the mess that I've made of my life. It focuses on him. And it's so important for us to celebrate the goodness of God, not just in a way where we say thanks, God, but where we are willing to actually celebrate and demonstrate what that might look like. 
In his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard talks about joy and celebration in this way. He says this, he says, holy delight and joy is the great antidote to despair and is a wellspring of genuine gratitude. Celebration heartily done makes our deprivations and our sorrows seem small. You may have the weight of the world that brings you to your knees before Jesus, but when you celebrate what he has done, you rise to your feet again. And then you move forward in the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit to do joy, to celebrate the things of God. And what happens when we choose to celebrate in those circumstances? And I would, I would say this, it's often difficult for us to celebrate when we don't feel like it. And can I tell you that that's exactly when you need to celebrate. You need to celebrate the goodness of God, especially when you don't feel like it, because the way that you feel is tied to your circumstances, not what is true about your relationship with the Lord. But when we choose to engage in that interaction with Him, when we uh, are, choose to celebrate and to respond, to do joy, in his presence. It strengthens our faith and it increases our willingness to persevere through difficulties and it puts life's circumstances into proper perspective. Puts life into perspective and I move forward doing joy and I've got my eyes focused on heavenly things. Church family, I'm going to ask you to stand. Worship, uh, worship team, if you would go ahead and join me on the stage. As you're standing, I want to encourage you to revisit that first question. And we're going to take just a moment to pause for you to really kind of wrestle that out. But are you, are you living a joy-filled life? Are you living a joy-filled life? I think most of us in earnest could say sometimes or in certain places. And maybe in those areas where you are lacking joy, could you invite the presence of God? Could you purpose in your heart to be led by the Spirit in that interaction this week? Could you move into a place where you celebrate the things of God? So in those areas, we might need to offer a surrender to the Lord. And so God, for those places that we need your help and we need your touch, those places where we yearn for joy, but there doesn't seem to be any joy in them. Lord, would you draw our attention back to you? In this moment, we might even be on our knees before you, surrendering that place to you. But Lord, would you lift up our countenance, lift up our eyes that we would see your face and that we would rise to our feet, the new creation that we are in Christ, that we would rise anew and that in that resurrected state, Lord, that we would celebrate, that we would be filled with joy, that we would express our love and our gratitude to you in joy and in celebration. Lord, that there would be a change in us. Lord, that when those who are outside of the church, Lord, that those who would be outside of the body of Christ, that when they would look at us, they would ask a different question, that they would ask, why, why are they so full of joy? Why do they seem to be happy when their circumstance in life doesn't look that way? How, how could they be that way in this situation? And may the answer be because they have their God. Lord, that we would rejoice in you always, every circumstance. 
directing our joy heavenward. You are our source, and you ultimately receive the expression of our celebration. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to entertain one last question before we go to our action steps this morning. And this is it. How can you rejoice in the Lord this week? How can you do joy? How, how can you do it? How can you express it? And here's your action steps. Number one, choose one thing. Just one. And he's done so many. Choose one great thing that God has done for you. And then actually celebrate it. And I mean actually celebrate it. Like have a dinner party, have a gathering, have an outing, have an event. Like actually do something to celebrate it. Don't just say, yeah, that's kind of good. Do something. Invite others to be a part of it. And then this is your challenge. This is how I'm going to check your homework. Take a picture of it and put it up on your Facebook page and hashtag it, do joy. Let's go out and do joy this week.